Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? Are you all recovered from our hike? Yeah, from our recovery hike, the uh, vacation hike that uh, was. I, I think so. I'm getting close. I still have bug bites that are, are sort of quite itchy still and scabbing over. But uh, I think otherwise... you are the only one who ended up with fly bites. Yeah, I don't know what that means. It was yeah. High tech raffle wool, perhaps. It's because you're so sweet. I guess. Or smelly or something. I don't know. Yeah, either or. Uh, anyway, we and DW the mini dachshund made it through a four day, three night backpacking trip, which is actually my longest ever backpacking trip to date, um, which honestly, it was it was super fun. It was a lot of hiking. Mm hmm. A lot of variable weather conditions. But I mean, for October, it was gorgeous. We had some rain a couple of the days, but the other two days, beautiful, sunny, warm. I could jump in the bay. Uh, yeah, some of my favorite places in Ontario to be. We were up in Tobermory area, so the water up there. If you are from Ontario and you haven't been, you have to get up there. It's tropical. It's so cool. The weather wasn't necessarily tropical, but indeed the water looks very turquoise and it's you know very pirates of the caribbean sort of yeah uh, exactly. in the actual the grotto area you can google that and, and be amazed i'm sure yeah so it's just really nice to spend four days in nature a uh, bit of cell reception but not a whole lot so that yeah, was I think really my nice phone, i don't know i had it off for good almost almost 48 i think i had it just completely turned off yeah i did the same and no watch as well which was interesting i sort of didn't have a lot of perspective on time of day oh yeah see i did a watch and i think i would have actually been less happy without one mm. even just from a for me eating and drinking enough during those days is always a little tricky so to be able to just kind of glance at my watch and be like oh it's been you know 15 minutes since i've had anything because i i do the small small pieces of things as i go i don't really do whole bars you're more of like a bar person though so i think try and do bar meal you know a little mm -hmm. bit of trail mix as well but uh, yeah we had epic bars which are probably my favorite thing is sort of a it's a jerky, but sort of mixed with maybe some dried fruit or something. But so they're, it's a they're bit more moist. They're yeah. DW's favorite too. DW also liked them. Yes. And I know it's it's an unpopular opinion or maybe a controversial one, but I actually love candy corn for hikes, which sounds a little crazy, but I put it in my hip pocket on my backpack. So I trail mix on one side, candy corn on the other. So I'm just constantly just kind of munching away at either of them. Okay, and well, we look forward to the hate mail from the anti-candy anti corn anti -candy, people. Yeah, the controversial candy corn. You know what? It's delicious, and I don't care what anyone says. Okay. And plenty of people do gummy bears or any of those more like gummy candy things. So I think candy corn's right in line with that. I just find it really satisfying. Okay. So anyway. To, to each their own. Yeah, to each their you own. You seem to have good energy most of it. So, yeah. Yeah. I thought we did great. DW did amazing. DW crushed it. Yeah. It's only so, taken him a week to recover. <laughs> so what else? What else do we have on the website? Uh, lots of good stuff going up. Uh, we just did one last week or a few days ago, I guess, about uh, how October and November is actually a great time to sort of revisit and maybe even do some goal resetting or setting. Uh, this time of year kind of gets gets kicked to the curb a little bit, right? We're sort of, we're either winding our season down and starting our off season or we're, you know, still racing cyclocross. So that's kind of a different story. Or we're kind of almost getting to holiday mode already. Right. We're gearing up for it. Sure. Um, but I actually was thinking about this. I was like, you know what? It would be awesome if instead of waiting till December 31st and restarting, what if you sort of thought through your goals and your resolutions and stuff now before the holiday uh, madness ensues, right? It's probably a lot better to go into the holidays feeling healthy and on top of your stuff rather than getting to the end of a week of mold wine and pastries and all that fun stuff and then be like okay business time mm -hmm. yeah and i don't know i always lament a little bit the you know start on january 1st concept right it just is a it's you know we have decent weather in most parts of north america uh through october november and it's so far away from races that it just seems like it's a good time to ride even if it's just you know for fun i, I don't know why it can't be for fun all the time but uh, you know, just a little more free. Like on the weekend I did two just fun mountain bike rides, sort of starting back into training, but 
you know, we're pretty free, right? A little bit of heart rate, you know, limits, try not to go super hard, but just mostly just mountain biking. PSA, here's the other reminder for especially those of us in the northern climates here. Uh, there's less less long rides than you think before something like an unbound gravel happening in early June. Well, any race, right? It doesn't really matter when it is. It's just, you know, you're going to have winter to contend with. So it's it's hard to think about linear programming, you know, the periodization, right? Where it's, I'm going to just increase my hours and then boom, you know, I, I always find that I get keen in October, November, it rains and it's snowing and I'm less keen all of a sudden, right? That beautiful progression is harder to do once I get sent inside or, or you know, mm-hmm. can't ride. Yeah, so there's less time till your 2022 races than you think. Which, I mean, that begs the question of what do you do, right? And I think it's you embrace the things you can do right now. And, you know, with clients, you hit it right. You know, we, we look at where are we going, right? Because before you start training, you want to have an idea of what are you training for. Very helpful, yes. Uh, right, so what are the goals? Even roughly, right? You know, schedules are still coming out, but you, you have a rough idea, I think. You know, this year, maybe more than the last couple. Uh, so that sort of sets the stage for what stuff you might need to work on, right? And that might be informed by the past seasons, but it also might be, oh, I've never done a 200 mile gravel race. You know, what do I need to know? And, you know, this could be, you know, everyone always jumps to fitness and, you know, they're, how many hours they're training. But I think your point more is, you know, well, you maybe you need a gravel bike and do you have gravel tires? Have you ever ran tubeless? Well, that's our, and that's part of our next article that's coming out later this week about, now that you are in the off season thinking about your gear wish list for next year right. because especially for cycling shipping times are real far ahead right now so if you want a new bike for next season you probably should have ordered it already or certainly should be ordering right. it like asap right, uh, right. so just sort of thinking through that and i think while well, it's fresh in your mind as far as gear goes because it's so easy to just kind of shove everything in the closet at the end of the season and then completely forget about what you have and what you don't have. Well, and we have a few mechanic friends and they're, you know, sort of the, like many businesses, there's, you know, the, the busy season and the not so busy season, but they're, you know, wishing that people would bring their bikes in, you know, maybe now, maybe into the winter. Uh, so, you know, maybe now you're not training as much, so it'd be a good time to get a bike in, right? Or maybe you're not using that bike, the road bikes away, mm-hmm. could it go in and get fully overhauled and just be ready for spring, right? Or yeah. the, the spring training camp that you're going to do maybe in february or march and i think it'd be hard for a mechanic to admit this but i bet you you'll get better service bringing it in now versus if you're bringing it in right when everyone else is bringing their bikes in the week before the first races of the season sure you'll get more time spent so i think it's, it's worth it just going through your gear doing a bit of a gear audit now you might even sell some stuff to make space and make make some cash to buy some new stuff so right look for look for a piece coming out on that and actually i was talking to some running friends and there's even some shoes like running shoes that are now ordered into the new year. Mm. Well, I mean, I tried to get some cyclocross tires. I was like, maybe I'll do a cyclocross race uh, this fall. And they were like, oh, we don't, there is none. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm not doing a cyclocross race, um, which is fine. Got to go mountain biking instead. Uh, but that it is, it's real, right? Some mm-hmm. of this stuff. So thinking ahead is, is smart. Not to mention the uh, your holiday wish list too, right? Uh, a lot of people have a, a spouse or a partner or a parent who buys them presents. And if you can just be like, here's the couple things I actually it's need for ordered. my racing season. Yeah, it's coming in 2023. Very helpful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> next, yeah. Next and so, so gift guides are coming out. You're going to have four or five of these posts that are sort of our, our best suggestions, gift guides of, of different areas, categories, mm-hmm. and price points. Yep. And as everyone knows, the North Face booties that I live in will be heavily featured. Okay. Um, Anyway, uh, on to today's guest. And actually, as we started in the beginning talking about spending four days out in nature, we are talking today to a man who is trying to help people quantify nature. Uh, So we have Jared Hanley. He's one of the three founders of Nature Quant, which is about as kooky as it sounds, which I love. Uh, So it's, it's a website and will eventually or very soon become an app that is going to help people quantify the amount and quality i guess of the nature that they're in so you know if you're in the middle of a forest versus standing in the middle of a urban jungle where there's no green anywhere Mm. uh, you would get a different score for being outside and it's super interesting because as we talk about we don't really go too much into the tech of it we go into more the science driven like research backed proof that nature is so important to our health and well-being just kind of across the board but it's, it's one thing that's very hard to provide a dosage for. Mm. Yeah, they or, tried to do that with things like vitamin D and sun exposure, I guess. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
but even and you know we all know exercise is like a fantastic medication you could say uh, a lot of things could be solved if people were doing their you know 20 to 30 minutes most days uh, and generally speaking most most people will agree that being outside in nature also very important but that what does that mean how much does that mean right um, could i just put a picture of a, a plant on my desk and does that count answer is kind of right uh, so yeah we go kind of all, into all of the research and sort of what they're looking at and what's interesting and i think the app itself is going to be interesting more from a research perspective uh not just in a personal like look at it and get your nature score like that's interesting but what's more interesting to me is the, the data collection that they can get that they can then actually compare with health data and yeah i guess you would be able to see you know someone has certain conditions or symptoms you know and, and then they're on the maybe lower end of the nature exposure yeah exactly right, right. Hmm. so yeah i think this is a super interesting conversation uh you know when we went into it i was definitely trying to get, wrap my head around the idea of bringing a phone with me out in nature and having that be a thing uh, but by the end, I was actually pretty convinced that this is a really cool thing and I'm I'm pretty excited about it. So, yeah. And also, I mean, I should just mention before we get into it, Jared is a excellent consummate athlete, very uh, started as a mountain biker, became more of an adventure racer, met the other two founders of Nature Quant while on a backcountry ski trip. They just ended up at the same little cabin hmm. and over some drinks, they came up with this idea. Community. Uh, yeah, so I love that they came up with it and then they followed through. Uh, it's it's a pretty awesome story. So let's let him take it away. Enjoy this conversation with Jared Hanley. Jared Hanley, um, let's let's just start by yeah. talking about the the origin story of Nature Quant. So I assume that means like Nature Quantified is the exactly. Kind of- okay, um, I read about this obviously in that awesome outside article about it. Uh, Sounds like you were on a pretty amazing adventure when this whole idea kind of came together. So let's let's hear this the superhero origin story. <laughs> yeah, it, it was quite an adventure. Um, well, that's really how the team got together. I'll tell about our, our backcountry ski trip. But uh, even for five or six years prior to that, um, I had just been um, really fascinated by the benefits I, I got when I spent time in nature and um, had been researching it quite a bit. Um, there actually were a few other articles and a few books published on the topic that I'd been devouring. Uh, and being a techie, I'd always thought like, wow, this is this is profound stuff. I need to figure out a way to get this to people. And I always thought that there needed to be an app or some kind of technology system to raise awareness around it. And um, I happen Which, to hang be- Hang on, we have to just say it's like a hilarious concept and I love course. it so much. And <laughs> okay, actually, I want to kind of just dive in real quick. Like what is your your work background as far as like the tech side of things go? Because normally when you think of a tech guy, yeah. you do not think of someone who's an adventure racer, who's out thinking about the, the benefits of nature. You think about, you know, a, a guy that's sitting in like a room with no windows surrounded by all computers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So there, there is a little bit of a conflict there. Uh, well, my background actually is mostly in finance, but um, a lot of that was using technology and applying it to finance and building software systems for financial analysis. Or actually, way back in the uh, '90s, we were doing some of the first big, I guess, machine learning processes to determine how people trade stocks and bonds. Um, back in the day, when you were really um, doing a lot of that stuff like pseudo manually, so. I say techie, I, I'm somewhat of a techie because I do enjoy technology and have been around a lot of technology companies, but largely data science and finance is my background. Uh, but as an antidote to that, I always have needed to get outside. Frankly, you know, when you're staring at numbers all day or looking at a screen, you kind of need a way to unplug and de-stress. Right. And, um, you know, I think like a lot of us, getting outside and exercising was that kind of um, cure for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, okay, and now I've like derailed it's us entirely. Totally <laughs> ironic that we're delivering technology to get people outside or to really unplug from technology. We're fully aware of that, uh, but we really feel like that's how we can reach the most people. I mean, everyone's holding their phone, looking at their phone all day. Um, they that's where you can get their attention, I think, and make it make a difference. And then there's this odd thing um, when people know they're being tracked their phone or just um i mean you always hear people about talking like write down what you eat 
right? As a, as a diet method, it's not, they're not actually saying you need to change your diet. Just be aware of what you're doing, monitor it, measure it, track it. And then there's this like behavioral thing. Um, it's called the Hawthorne effect. Like if you know you're being observed, you just behave differently. And so we yep. wanted to like use those tools to get people outside. Um, and that's really kind of where nature dose comes in. I love it. I think that's yeah. absolutely right. I, anytime I've ever tried to write down what I eat just to like get a, a picture of what it looks like. I always realize halfway through the day that I'm just like utterly lying to myself about how I normally eat because yeah, my patterns change significantly when I know I like have to actually account for all of it. So suddenly I'm like, Oh, well, of course I had two cups of spinach this morning and do that every morning. I don't do that every morning. <laughs> it is it is shocking. You know, so I've been using our, our app a little bit. And one thing we also just measure is time inside and outside, not just outside in nature, thinking that I'm outside all the time. Uh, you know, I spend like 95% of my life indoors, which most Americans do. Actually, a lot of Americans spend more than that inside. And I was just shocked to see it. But when you start seeing those kind of numbers, you realize, oh, I'm really not getting out as often as I thought. And so quantifying this stuff, being able to measure it helps and it, it makes it matter a little more when you're um, tracking it in that way. Ooh, when you said the 95%, because that's just like, you're sp that's still, you're spending an hour a day outside, right? Like that's not an insignificant yeah. amount of time. Yeah. That's probably, yeah, like you say, way more than the average American spends outside. That's terrifying when you think about the fact that a lot of people are now doing a lot of their training inside on like treadmills and mm -hmm. indoor, indoor stationary trainers and in gyms and stuff, you could very easily go days spending oh. <laughs> like 0.001% of your time outside. That's literally just getting into your car and like going somewhere and that's it. Oh yeah. Really I think a lot of that. people are at like the 98, 99% of their time indoors, which mm -hmm. um, I mean, and that's just what our built environment is now, which I think is common and accepted. But when you really step back and you think about, you know, we've spent 99.9% .9 of our evolutionary history really outside almost all the time. This is a new environment for us and it does have an impact on our physiology and in our mental states. And so that's what we're trying to study and understand like, okay, we are living in a new environment. We're now living indoors in these built worlds around screens. And <laughs> what does that do to us? Um, mm -hmm. It turns out there's a lot of negative things that uh, come with that new type of lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even as I'm thinking about it, like temperature regulation, for example, like we now are just kind of always in this like climate controlled thing, which leads me back to the origin story yes, of how the yes, three sorry. of you got together. <laughs> so I've brought it back. I've brought us back on yeah. track. Talk to me about that backcountry skiing trip. So the, the three founders, uh, we all live in Oregon. Um, and, uh, you know, we have the Three Sisters Wilderness, which is a, an amazing kind of backcountry skiing playground. And um, in the winter, there's a kind of a road that just parallels the uh, wilderness area where uh, a group go out with snowmobiles and they set up huts and they stock them with food and beverages and, and the sort. And you're able to um, then backcountry ski into the wilderness, but then go to these various huts along the way. So you can travel very light, cover a lot of terrain and really access some, some fun mountains. And so we happen to all be on the same backcountry ski trip um, a couple of years ago. And, you know, like I, on a lot of those trips, you have all day to, you know, talk and explore ideas and really get in depth into things, which I, is one thing I love about, you know, being outside, you know, it allows you to focus on something really to a, a level of depth that you just generally don't have time for <laughs> in our mm -hmm. daily lives. And so one of the topics that, you know, the three of us were exploring was like, you know, this is so rejuvenating. It's so interesting how spending time outside just gives you such a, a clear, um, you know, mental state and just this like odd energy, like, you know, clean, strong energy. And I was, uh, you know, peppering them with some of the research. And then, you know, one of the founders, Dr. Minson, obviously knows a ton about human physiology and the environmental impacts of that. And, and the other founder, um, Chris Bailey, is, is just a, a tech wizard. So the three of us seem to have a really nice skill set <laughs> to put this company together. We were talking about possibilities there, and that's really, you know, where Nature Quant kind of got its founding. I really like that it got its founding in nature and to get more meta, mm -hmm. like in nature, <laughs> talking about nature and being yeah. in nature. Uh, so good. Uh, so, I mean, what had led you to start 
being interested in the idea like of researching it. I mean, I understand the conversation, which is kind of flow naturally if you're in the back country and you're like, oh, this is beautiful. People should do this more. But I mean, mm-hmm. clearly you had already dug into it quite a bit. What made you really start caring about this in a way that was more than just like, huh, I should get outside more? Well, so most of the research historically has been around proximity to nature. So they know where you live, for example, and how green it is in your neighborhood broadly, and then what type of health outcomes you have. And then there was also a lot of like small scale interventional studies where they take a couple of dozen people, have some walk in a park, some walk in a city and and measure the biomarker outcomes. But being, um, you know, kind of a data guy and understanding there's this whole like quantified self-revolution where everyone has um, smartphones with them. A lot of people have smart watches like Fitbit, Apple watches. People are tracking their sleep. They're tracking all of these things. And I felt like, wow, if we also knew when people were outside and then we can compare that to how they're sleeping, what is their heart rate, blood pressure, um, even athletic performance relative to time outside. Um, we could get some really cool data that had never existed before and truly, truly understand the direct impacts of of time outside. And so that's one thing that we are able to do now with our app. And we have a few studies underway that we're really excited to see the results from. Oh, you had me at performance there. Um, And I I guess that makes sense. Let's, Let's also just kind of pause and talk about your athletic background. Adventure racing? How did you end up in that? Yeah, so... um. I, I started really just, I mean, I've been outside my whole life. You know, my idea of fun since I was a kid was just, you know, trekking out into the woods and seeing what I discover. But, you know, as I grew, you know, as I mentioned, I had a pretty, um, you know, stressful technology and finance lifestyle or work. And I, in, in my escape was always getting outside and I got really into mountain biking and trail running and started competing in mountain biking and was successful at that. But I, I loved all outdoor sports, um, you know, climbing water sports, trekking, mountaineering. And uh, I stumbled into adventure racing, which really captures all of those and um, also pushes them to, you know, great lengths. You know, I, I, my, my favorite was like the long, long expedition length adventure races. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's because, you know, my fascination with nature that really got me out, out in the deep woods, you know, a lot of other races, you're, you're in parks or you're adjacent to a city, but in expedition adventure racing, you're often off trail, deep, deep in the wilderness is what I loved. And then it was a real mental journey for me as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I really felt like you get to experience states of being that you just never find in your daily life. You haven't slept for three days and you've been moving, you know, like 22 hours, um, not every day, nonstop for a week at a time. Mm-hmm. It's funny. We were yeah. actually just talking about adventure racing the other night, uh, my, my husband slash co-host and I, and he was saying he's done well in a couple like local ones because he knew it like, cause mountain biking is his thing. And most mm-hmm. adventure racers actually don't do mountain biking as much. So it's funny that you yeah. also kind of started with mountain biking as you got into it. Do you feel like that's like an accurate, uh, yeah, it's a lot of triathletes or, or Ironman triathletes who like to go long, but they may not have the off-road technical skills. Um, and so, being a technical mountain biker is a huge win yeah, <laughs> for <yeah>. sure. Because <laughs> um, you have a heavy pack. Often the trails are rugged. I mean, sometimes they're almost unrideable. So to the extent that you can ride a lot of stuff that other people are walking, you can make up a ton of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So coming back to the the nature side of things, you've alluded to you know a lot of research on like health outcomes and stuff. Are there any particular like highlights as far as like specific studies that made you really like sit up and take notice of just like holy crap this this is earth earth shattering game changing i mean there there's a lot of studies out there probably well over 500 Um, we may be approaching a thousand at this point but there are also there's so many studies there are now these meta studies which are basically papers that collect you know dozens of other studies on a particular topic and there was one that just really covered longevity, which in my mind was kind of the all-encompassing metric for health benefits. And Mm -hmm. and again, this one looked at proximity of nature to where you live, but um, it covered about 8 million individuals and I think about a dozen different countries. And they found consistently that proximity to nature just made people live longer uh, to the extent that really every like 10% increase in in measured greenness was a 4% reduction in all-cause mortality. And that kind of data just like 
it's almost as powerful as things like diet and exercise. And it's just not that commonly known. And so I felt like, wow, I mean, this is powerful stuff. Individuals need to know about it. City planners need to know about it. Um, you know, nonprofits need to know about it. This is, um, it's a health tool that's available to all of us and it's essentially free. Um, you know, you mm -hmm. just need to get outside and go to a park and it can have a profound difference on, on our public health. Yeah, yeah. Have you found any studies, this is kind of a weird question off of this, but have you found any studies that are like about climate or weather for people? Like, is there like one specific area of the world that seems better because it's always sunny or does it really even matter if it's an Arctic tundra outside or, uh, you know, a beautiful park? We have actually done exactly that. That's one thing our technology tried to do is parse out different parts of nature. Like, is it just green vegetation or bodies of water? Like, what about sand? Like, what if you're just on a beach or in a desert? And um, I don't have a, like a definitive answer for you. It's all better than a built environment, it seems. But live vegetation is particularly helpful. Um, and then in terms of, you know, weather, we, we haven't factored in seasonality yet. But that is one thing we plan to do. Yeah, yeah, that's um, super interesting. Um, and the the live vegetation, I feel like this past two years, house plants have kind of exploded as like being yeah. super popular <laughs> because of that. Now, have you seen anything that's sort of, that is like quantifying if having a house plant and like a picture of a beautiful tree landscape in front of me is that going to be anywhere near as good oh, as yeah. actually being outside? I don't know if it's as good, but there's plenty of studies that look at things like images. I mean, one, one of my favorite, um, there was this, um, I think it was a giant call center in China where there was literally um, thousands of employees in these warehouses of computers in different stories of a building. And they did this study where on one floor, everyone got a screensaver of nature. And on the next floor, everyone had a screensaver of just a, a city, like a built environment to see if simply having something as just nominal as changing the screensaver change the behavior of those employees. And it turns out the employees on the floor that got the nature screensaver were more productive, they had less sick days, and they reported better worker satisfaction. And then they flipped the floors. So they changed the screensavers, and then the results flipped. And so something as simple as having a nature screensaver seemed to make a material difference. Oh, so wow. It's, so it's, it's very clear that even seeing nature, if you're not actually in nature, is impactful. There's actually... Um, there's this guy that we've been talking to at the University of Washington who's creating virtual reality nature experiences for people who are bedridden or in hospitals. Neat. It's so healing. Oh, that's awesome. I'm also very sad about this because I've been arguing with with uh, with Peter about where we're setting up desks in our room, and he has his desk is now over in front of the window, and it's the most irritating location in the room possible as far as like actual logical layout. But he's like, but I get to see outside. And now I have to go tell him yeah. that that's actually good for you. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> Darn. No. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I've seen a few studies to that effect where it was like looking at a picture of nature actually like decreased stress levels or mm -hmm. decreased anxiety levels. Um, so that's always good. And I will say yesterday, I was actually having that exact thought. I was having a very stressed out, anxiety ridden morning and went out on my run. And, you know, 10 minutes in, I was like, oh, okay things aren't so bad. And I can't tell you if it was the run or the nature, probably a combination of, of both that helped there. Um, so I want to get into the company a little bit, but before I say that, um, that did just make me think of the other question I wanted to ask you about, which is just nature versus exercise. Um, mm -hmm. Because I mean, for someone like me, I usually think of my outside time is my exercise time. So that's just kind of like two birds, one stone. Um, but like I said, at the beginning, a lot of people are using treadmills and indoor trainers and stuff like that. Um, Time yeah, and nature it, versus exercise, thoughts, it's, feelings. It's, <laughs> it's, it's hard to parse everything apart. I mean, I will say um, no, we still don't know exactly what are the elements of nature that are really causing these outcomes that we observe. Certainly you know, when people are outside, they're probably more active, right? So mm -hmm. there is an element of exercise generally just getting outside. I mean, actually, when I think of being outside, I kind of think it like exercise because you're, you're stressing your body in a way. You know, you're probably exposed to different temperature ranges. Um, you're, you're exposed to di different elements in the air. So phytocytes and bacteria, plant matter that you're breathing in. Um, you may be exposed to sunlight, right? Which is 
could be a problem if you're getting too much, but also you're getting that UV exposure and probably helping with your vitamin D levels. So much like exercise is a stress that your body then reacts to and gets stronger, simply being out in nature in a way could be stressful for your immune system, um, just, just for your body generally. And so it does seem to bestow benefits uh, in that way. So I can't, I, it's really hard to parse it apart. And I don't yeah. think there's any really consensus around what are the causal pathways um, of, of nature bestowing these benefits. I mean, there's a lot of theories, um, but we just don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. Yet. Yeah. I will say when it comes specifically to exercise, they have tested exercising indoors versus mm-hmm. outdoors and consistently athletes outperform when they're outside. Yeah. So they're able to do more work. And they also report better kind of mental states. So they perceive a, a given level of work to be less effort. And then they, they also receive better um, mood afterwards. So they're less anxious, less stressed, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I've never really finished a treadmill workout feeling super good about the world. It's usually yeah. just like, when is this stupid thing going to be over? And when can I get off and be done? Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, but okay, coming back to this, this backcountry ski hut in the middle of nowhere, you and two other guys talk about it. Now, most people would just ski on their separate ways the next morning and, you know, never really come back to it. But you guys ended up starting this company that is now, it's like growing pretty rapidly. I mean, you just have that huge feature in outside, like, this is a big deal. People are very excited about this. How, did, how does it actually happen? Because so many people have these brilliant ideas on these hiking trips. Like, I don't think I've ever gone on a hiking trip where I haven't like, like, okay, we're totally going to start a dehydrated alcohol company where you can oh, yeah. buy like powdered wine to take with you camping, uh, you know, whatever, and then come back and do absolutely nothing with it. But you actually did it. So how did that actually, how did that coalesce? Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, first of all, we're all kind of really passionate outdoorsy guys and so we felt like you know this is something that we could work on but also really enjoy personally but um felt it could have a huge impact on public health generally so I think there's just like this mission that we really believe in behind it and then I think in terms of the technical aspects we didn't realize how hard it would be and so (laughs) that usually helps yeah gullible enough to say oh we can do that and then once we started we're like man this is complicated (laughs) but um We've made a ton of progress and actually, I think, discovered a lot and are really kind of proud of where we're at today. I mean, we what we've done is is really developed a system where we can calculate the amount of nature, the quality and quantity of nature in any location in the U.S. right now. We're about to map Canada and Europe. Um, and so now that we have this map, we really can analyze how nature has influenced any outcome that we see at that location. So urban heat islands, um, disease transmission rates seem to be impacted, air quality, obviously, and then the big one, health. Um, And then in some cases, people wanna understand how does nature influence real estate, right? So if we put a park there, plant trees there, what does that do to community property values? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we have this mapping system, which we call nature score, where we've mapped everything um, down to 10 meters in the US which was the start for our mobile app, which is about to come out, um, Nature Dose, which then tracks individuals. Um, it tracks whether they're inside versus outside. And when we can detect that they're outside, what nature is around them. And with that base map and the mobile tracking technology, we now can give you a pretty good sense of your nature exposure over time, which we call a nature dose, um, with the idea that um, you know, people should be caring about that, tracking it and setting goals and trying to achieve a certain nature dose every week. Okay. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Now, how does that, how does the app end up knowing that you're outside? Is it just based on GPS, like knowing your location or? Oh man, that's a, it's a very, very complicated engineering process. Um, yes. GPS is part of it. Um, you know, knowing we need to know where all the buildings are, obviously, to know whether you're inside or out or outside. Um, GPS accuracy tells us if there's roofs overhead. If we know your elevation relative to the elevation of the earth, we can know if you're on the third or fourth floor. We actually look at light and barometric pressure. Um, obviously, are you on Wi-Fi? Is your phone charging? I mean, there's, there's, there's literally just a dozen elements that go into just trying to figure out whether you're outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that part in and of itself is very, very complicated, but important, obviously, because um, 
there is, a, I think, some evidence that just having plants and things indoors are valuable, but really getting outside is this gold standard. Yeah, I think so. I mean, on so many levels, right? Like if I'm sitting at my desk here all day, even if I have a plant, I'm, I can literally like move 20 steps in the course of the day to, mm-hmm. you know, use the washroom, refill my coffee mug or whatever. And I've like done, yeah, under, under a hundred steps in the course of a day. But anytime you're going outside, you have to naturally be like, you, like you said before, it's impossible to really be outside without doing some work. Yeah. So. Well, and uh, then for, for mental health, um, I think it's also important because when you're outside, um, you're engaged socially. You know, if you're in a park, you may be with friends, but you certainly see other people and build community. Hmm. So there's, there's somewhat of a mental reset there. Um, being exposed to sunlight is important. It's, you know, it helps you sleep, helps with vitamin D, you know, and then you also experience that variation in temperatures, which you don't really get inside that much, mm-hmm. which um, is also important. So there's a pretty clear line between being in, indoors and outdoors that's important to monitor. Yeah, it's so funny. You said, I always think about my uncle made this one dramatic comment several years ago where he was talking about how tough he had it in high school back in like the good old days. And he was like, I went four years where I didn't see the sun because he was like wrestling in high school. So he'd, you know, get up and it's dark, like it's still dark out when you get on the bus. And then it's like, you're in the the gross wrestling gym all afternoon. And then by the time you leave, it's dark out. And at the time I've just kind of laughed at him because that's just such a ridiculous statement. But now I'm like, Oh, that might explain why he's so grumpy all the time. He doesn't listen to this. So it's okay. (laughs) I can say that. (laughs) Well, I mean, anyone that lives in like a a Northern latitude, I mean, up in Canada, I mean, I live, grew up in Seattle when it's dark all winter. People Mm -hmm. have, you can sense that their mood is a little different. Their energy levels are different. uh, Their sleep behavior is different. I mean, sunlight's a powerful thing. (laughs) It certainly is. hundred percent. I would say you can even see it shifting up here just in the past couple of weeks as it started to get uh, light out a bit later. Like I can see it in all of my friends. Like our Mm -hmm. moods are definitely shifting. Not, not a, not a lot, but we're all just a little more stressed out. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was going to ask you about what the minimal vi- or minimum viable dose of nature is, which I actually wrote down before I knew that it was going to be called nature dose. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love this. Uh, so how much nature is optimal for people, or is this still something that we're trying to figure out? Well, um, so we don't know with complete certainty, A, the definition of what kind of nature you need, and then how much is, in a, is the minimum dose. There have been some kind of big surveys done where they've had people report the amount of time they're spending outside versus inside. And there does seem to be some consensus forming around 120 minutes a week as a minimum amount of time you should, you should try and spend outside. So when you look at those populations, the group that spent at least 120 minutes a week outside just had profoundly better health outcomes than the group that didn't meet that minimum dose. I would say more than that is also better. But that's probably the, I think, a good target for most people. Okay. It's interesting that that's so closely related to the like total number of minutes you should spend exercising every week. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, pretty much right around there. So just combine yeah. the two and boom, <laughs> check, check. Um, the, <laughs> the other thing I'll say is it's also helpful to get a 20 minute session. So while you can certainly, you know, walk from your car to your house or whatever, and you'll get like maybe three to five minutes outside. Spending 20 minutes outside in a single session has shown to reduce cortisol levels, which is a stress hormone, materially. And so having that kind of prolonged period of time outside is also a a good goal to go for. So maybe like, you know, three or four 20-minute sessions a week and and you're you're off to a good start. Okay. I love that. Uh, And so as you were developing this business and growing this business and doing all of the things, uh, typically, I know as like entrepreneurs and business developers and stuff, you tend to end up getting pretty stuck indoors as you're spending a billion hours a day on this. So how have you been able to kind of make sure you're keeping nature in your life while uh, tackling this project? It's super hard. (laughs) There's some irony there, right? I, I will definitely take an occasional conference call from the backyard or walking, um, but actually, what I remind myself, and it's, it's not just me, I mean, this has been found repeatedly, is spending a little bit of time outside actually makes you more productive overall. And so it's a huge return on investment. And so, I mean, you think about, oh, man, I can't take a, a 30 minute break to go for a little walk outside because I have so much to do. You'll be more effective after that break. And so it, to me, it's easy. It's an easy calculation. 
Yeah, I mean, if I go for a little walk, I'll come back, I'll be way more productive. So it's, um, it's easy to justify. Yeah. <laughs> Plus yeah. I enjoy it. I mean, there have been, and I hate to just keep hammering on all these scientific studies, but it's really, I mean, important. No, to I love it. This. Um, they'll take people and they'll put a group in a park or put a group in a city and just have them sit and have them being tested before and after on things like memory, cognitive ability, um, focus, attention span. And the group that go sit in the park just dramatically improve their test scores. The group that goes sit in a city or sit indoors don't. And so there's something that happens to our minds. There's a mental reset or an attention restoration, if you will, that happens after you go outside and you have kind of that interaction with nature and kind of the soft focus of being around trees and in the wilderness where you just clear your mind and then you can be more productive afterwards. So mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of taking little nature breaks throughout the workday. Definitely. Um, Now that leads me to the kind of tricky question that obviously you've had to deal with here. You know, for me, when I think about going outside and doing those breaks, typically I know I can clear my mind the best if I don't have my phone on me. So how can people both be getting all of this information to their phone? Because I mean, I actually, I think I, I think I'm actually on board with the idea that we clearly need to quantify this because we all kind of suck at doing it. So, um, any tips for like being able to use your phone to use this app, but not checking your Instagram and spending your entire time outside, like with your phone in your face. I'm glad you brought that up. So, I mean, when you download our app on the onboarding, you know, one thing we tell people is, you know, we don't want you using this app all the time. This is not a real time activity tracker. In fact, we intentionally don't like show your nature dose creeping up every minute while you're walking outside. We do it in like delayed batches. So you're not constantly monitoring, thinking about it, geeking out on the stats. What we hope our app is, is really just kind of a lifestyle nudge where, you know, in the middle of the week, if you're, you haven't been outside much, we can give you a little ping and say, Hey, you're behind your, your, your goal, you know, maybe try and get outside a little more. And at the end of the week, we give you one summary, but we don't want you interacting with it on a regular basis. So it's not the kind of app designed to draw your attention in and just have you focus on the screen. So it's an anti-app app in a way. I, mean, I know it's weird, but that's the hope. Um, yeah. Just have it run silently in the background and then we'll give you a summary at the end of the week to make you think about, oh, what can I do next week that maybe will allow me to get a little better nature exposure. Love it. I feel like when I, when I do go out and I I do want to bring my phone, I try to just stick it in a back pocket and make sure it's on do not disturb and try really hard to avoid looking at it. Because I think, yeah, if you're walking around and you're, I mean, it's one thing to take the occasional phone call outside. That's great that you need to do. Sure. But if you're out for a walk, I'm I'm often out walking my dog and I'm always like, Oh, like I want to go check my Instagram. When Instagram was down the other day, I was walking my dog and I was like, kind of like, realizing how much I was tempted to reach for my phone to check Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Oh, this is what I do. Oh no. <laughs> so that's something I'm trying to work on. For oh, sure. we're, we're all addicted for sure. And there's this notion of techno stress, right? Like it's, it's an addiction that's partly good, but partly bad, right? We're constantly mm-hmm. like worried about it. What am I missing? There is that stress element to it that I think, you know, getting outside and maybe not interacting with your phone for even just 15, 20 minutes can, can help alleviate a bit. Yeah. A hundred percent. So is um, down, down the, down the line, are there any hopes of kind of bringing like combining your app with any of the wearable trackers or even combining it with more of like the apps, like, I don't know, Strava or HRV for training or any of those more oh, yeah. actually quantifying apps? Yeah, so we we actually have a little um, um, integration with Strava already, where if you want, we'll give you a nature score for your Strava activity and then a weekly nature dose. So we add up all your activities and give you a dose for for everything you've done in Strava. And we can do the same with other fitness, you know, and, you know, and activity trackers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, where we really want to go with this is be in a lot of other health and wellness environments, if you will, if you think about like the Apple Health or the Google Fit, where they're monitoring your step count, maybe your sleep, all these other things. We feel like nature exposure and time outside is just one of these health and wellness elements that people need to be aware of and track. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We we always go back and forth about how much stuff we want to be tracking sort of throughout the day, but I do feel like this is one metric that I'd never really thought about tracking that actually 
probably could move the most needles. Um, so I think it's it's super interesting. Now you've mentioned the sort of nature score and the difference between these more urban areas versus more green space. Um, what can people living in cities, what can they do to sort of up that yeah. nature score? Yeah. Right? Well, you like need... Run laps around like a single tree in like a <laughs> tiny park. So we do know where all the trees are and what the nature score does is tell us kind of the concentration of natural elements by area. But the best thing really is to find if there's any kind of immersive experience you can get, like going to an actual park or being along a river, um, that's probably the best bang for your buck time-wise when you're in a city. Um, and we're, you know, we're still studying this, but I think being in a park, for example, is almost as effective as being in a full wilderness experience if that's all you can access living in a city. Mm -hmm. um, so there's no easy solution if you're in a city, but hopefully, um, you know, one thing we're doing and other people can do is, is really value parks. <laughs> yeah. You know, get your city planner to pay attention to, to the importance of parks. I mean, we've seen this in COVID, right? You know, when everyone was trapped inside, everyone realized like, oh man, parks are super important. Yeah. And so yeah. hopefully we can continue that momentum. Yeah, definitely. Um, on the, you mentioned water. So if I was in say Manhattan, um, obviously there's Central Park, there's a couple of other you know parks further uptown, but would running along the Hudson, if I was like near right on the water, would that be like close to that park experience? It's better than being in the, you know, the center of Manhattan, if you will. Fair um, enough. <laughs> near water is really better. Um, it's not quite as good as being in Central Park where there's a lot of green, but it's, it's still helpful to be along the water. Mm -hmm. yeah. be interested to see if there's ever been any stuff done about like sort of people who find water more soothing versus people who find trees more soothing because I'm definitely more of a if I can run and see water I'm infinitely happier than running I like I love mm -hmm. trail running and everything but I love being on the water so it'd be interesting to see if I would be actually like happier healthier if I ran in the woods versus if I ran on the water yeah. which is what I prefer doing so yeah, we we plan to study exactly that. I can tell you. So there's been studies where they they show groups of people, random photos of wilderness and and the, the ideal or at least the, the photo that gets the highest score in terms of liking. It's called biophilia. People's like natural affinity for nature is a open grass savanna with sparse trees and water. So that seems to be the like ideal natural environment. So there are trees but you can see off into the distance and there's a body of water nearby. For okay. some reason, we just prefer that. I like it. You call that biophilia? Like yeah, biophilia is kind of the, it really means like love of the natural world. It's just kind of a, a scientific term for the fact that like, we like looking at nature. I mean, <laughs> people, you go in their house, they often have pictures of mountains or, you know, waterfalls or whatever. It's just that, that odd attraction we have to natural scenes. Isn't it funny when you think about yeah. the idea that we've like closed ourselves in, but then added up images <laughs> showing the outside stuff? Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> uh, okay. And before we, we sort of start to wind down here, I mean, you're, you're an active adventure oriented type. I mean, are, first of all, are you still doing adventure racing or what's your like current uh, training regimen look like? Yeah, not, not as much. I've slowed down a little bit. I still do shorter I mean, they're called sprint adventure races where they're usually like six to 12 hours. Um, I haven't done a lot of expeditions in a while. Very big quotation um, marks around sprint there. Uh, I did try and climb all three sisters in, in a day um, a couple of weekends ago. So I'm still getting out in the mountains trying to put in some big efforts. Nice, nice. We failed, but I tried. <laughs> yeah, you tried. That's that's way more important yeah. than actually yeah. like, succeeding. Yeah. Um, and I mean, as someone who clearly thinks about quantifying their their healthy habits and stuff, uh, what are sort of some of your like daily sort of must dos for this longevity and health, other than obviously getting outside for the prescribed amount of time? Yeah, I mean, um, for me, I got a standing desk because I know I'm going to be at my desk all the time. And then I have just little fitness stuff everywhere. I mean, you probably can't see it. I have a chin up bar over my shoulder. I have a we talk about mat, that all like, the time. In the yes. of my office. Um, yeah. So often on Zoom calls, people will see my fitness equipment in the back. But that's uh, I just try and integrate everything as, as, as much as I can to make it convenient. Because if it's right there staring me in the face, I'm more likely to, you know, crank out a set of chin ups or whatever I'm doing. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's so funny. We recommend the chin up bar 
constantly, it's like our number one favorite recommendation. Because even if you can't do a chin up or a pull up, if you can just hang from it and engage your core just for a few seconds, like you'll build up to that pull up. Whenever someone's like, oh, how do I do pull ups? Well, you get a pull up bar and you just start by hanging. Yeah. yeah. All you got to do, you'll get there eventually. <laughs> um, okay. Amazing. Um, is there anything we missed talking about nature quant and sort of where it's going, what it is? any of that other than just how no, people can I mean so the nature does app is not out just yet we plan to launch kind of right around the end of this year okay um, so the end of 2021 and it'll be in you know on Apple and Android in both app stores uh, but you can go to our website we have an email list you can sign up for like notification or maybe to get early access to test it if you're really psyched on that and there's also several white papers on our web page that talk about some of the science around nature and health um, oh, and a few amazing. other things that we've studied, you know, um, you know, nature and COVID cases, nature and urban heat islands, um, you know, a bunch of stuff. So um, environmental justice is one thing we've looked at. I mean, our data is actually being applied to all kinds of places we never thought it would be. So if, I would check out the website if you're curious. And there's a lot of the information there. Mm-hmm. It's no, naturequant.com. Amazing. No, it's so cool to think about all of the different applications. Like we didn't even touch on any of the environmental and social justice stuff, but all of this can completely play into it. And the information that you're compiling is so huge for showing all of these different health outcomes for different groups of people. And oh, so many cool applications. I'm so excited to see where this is in a a couple of years, especially like once, you know, more and more people are getting on the the app as it comes out. And yeah, I I think environmental determinants of health um, and activity or lifestyle or as preventative medicine is the future of health. So um, exercise obviously is one of the pillars there is preventative, but also we think nature. So, you know, we can combine all those and I think just live a healthier future. So I'm psyched for that. Yeah. And data's making it happen. <laughs> so yeah. good. Uh, where outdoors and big data can actually meet and coalesce and it's great. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. Awesome. Well, Jared, thank you so much for chatting with me about this stuff. It's, it's a very cool, you know, it's not our normal wheelhouse of talking about endurance activity, but I mean, like we're all in it to, because we love being outside. Like that's sort of yeah. the basis for why any of us get into endurance sport, right? Like kind of dig into the science of like, why is it we want to be outside and why we should be out there. Um, yeah, so yeah, for sure. Thanks. Thanks for chatting with us today. Yeah. Th- thanks you, Molly. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram at consummateathlete and we will see you next week.